Good morning, church. Welcome again to Redeemer Fellowship Church. I want to go ahead and remind you, if you don't have the digital hymnal uh, open, pulled up, go ahead and pull that out. You should have it in your email. You can also find it on our app or on the website. Uh, that digital hymnal will be your guide for the service. It has all of our songs that we're going to sing. It has all of the liturgy, all of the uh, responsive readings that we're going to do. Uh, so it will be your guide as we work through the service. If you see any underlying portions in our liturgy, whether in the call to worship, the benediction, any of that, uh, read along with me uh, as, we, as we read. I'm going to start us off with our call to worship. And our call to worship today comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. And it says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. God, we come to you today asking for you to be with us today as we worship you, as we come into this place, Lord, to, uh, Lord, to sing your praise, to cry out to you our thanks, uh, Lord, to cry out to you our need, to cry out to you, uh, Lord, that you are worthy, reminding ourselves uh, of your glory and your goodness and your great, great love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
confession. If you would, bow your heads as we pray and we confess before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you today to confess our sin to you. Lord, we come today, Lord, not even able to remember all of the things that we have to confess, all of the ways in which this week alone we have fallen short. We have come short of the mark of righteousness. Lord, I pray that for that, you would forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for our fear. I pray that you would forgive us when we fail to trust in you, when we fail to have faith in the one who provides and sustains us with everything that we need. I pray today, Lord, that you would cleanse us of our sin. Restore unto us, Lord, a clean heart and a right spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
King of Heaven, my treasure Thou art. My King of Heaven, my victory won. Joy, oh bright heaven, sun, heart of my own heart, whatever before, still be my vision. Well, it's now time in our service for our declaration of pardon, the time when we are reminded of the grace of God that we have in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. The declaration of pardon for you today, church, is this. God the Creator brings you new life, forgiveness, and redeems you. Take hold of this forgiveness and live your life in the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's now time for us to take up our offering uh, here at Redeemer Fellowship Church, we have multiple ways that you can give. You can give by going online to evansvillechurch.com giving. You can give that way. You can also give through text message by texting the number on your screen. Text Evansville to that number. It'll shoot you back a link and you can give that way. You can also give on the Redeemer Fellowship app. If you haven't already downloaded the app, download that. Uh, and there is a giving tab right there on the app. You can give that way. But before we give... I'm going to read for us an offertory prayer. Good shepherd, you graciously spread a table before us. We offer you these gifts, tokens of our grateful hearts. Nourish us at the feast of the Lamb, that we may pro proclaim to all the world your triumphant love in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 35 through 48. And again, I'm not going to read this. I'm going to kind of slowly read this as we go through this teaching. Um, let me give you some of the, the main idea, a big idea of this sermon. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're using the uh, digital hymnal, the sermon notes are on that digital hymnal that you can access through the website or through the app. Um, and you'll see these sermon notes, and so um, please use those if you like taking notes and like following along by taking notes. But here's the main idea of today. Everyone must be constantly ready for the return of Christ. By being faithful now to Christ, do not be defiant, distracted, or ignorant. A way to kind of summarize that statement to fewer words Kind of the big idea is to prepare for Christ's return with devotion to his word and endurance through tribulation. And that's kind of the big idea. And before I kind of get into the meat of, of this passage, I want to introduce by talking of a, of a story from the 1960s. 
But in 1966, a horrible accident happened on October 21st. In Elberven, Elberven was a, a village in Wells. There was a, a, an accident that happened. At 9 a.m. in the morning, and Elberven was a, a, a cold town in Wells. And what they would do is, as they extracted the coal, they would take the waste, the kind of fine powder, they would put it on these cable cars and send it up the mountain, and they would dump it on these things they called tips. And there were seven tips, and they were basically these huge uh, piles of waste of coal. The seventh tip was 140,000 cubic yards. That's how big it was. And so there's a huge pile of this coal waste. And they were doing this for long periods of time. This uh, area had been mined since the, the late parts of the 19th century. And so they would dump this waste rock in this area. There's this fine particle left from the, the waste process. And this seventh tip was, 1100, uh, was 100 feet, 111 feet high. And underneath the tip was sandstone, which was above a natural spring. So it was not a very uh, a stable uh, area. 1966, on the morning of October 21st, children were on their way to school. They said bye to their parents their parents could buy. Their kids were excited because they were, about, they were only going to have a half day of school and they were about to get midterm vacation. Very similar to kids when they're excited about Christmas vacation or summer vacation. And even before this, and before 1966, between 1963 and 1964, the, 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 the villagers of Elberfin were concerned about the seventh tip location. They were concerned that if there was ever a, a uh, if that if that tip were ever to, to become unstable and slide, it would basically uh, knock down some of the buildings of the village. And so they reported this to the Natural Coal Board. But the coal, Natural Coal Board didn't really do much with it. They ignored the concern. There was fear that if they raised issues with this tip, that it would lead to closure and unemployment. And so they ignored the concerns of the villagers in 1963 and 1964. The days leading up to October 21st, 1966, there was weeks of rain. This area of Wells got a lot of rain, about 70 inches per year. And there was a weeks of heavy rain that saturated the seventh tip. Students left again. Kids left at 9 a.m. School started at 9 a.m. 20 minutes later, 9.20 a.m., the material, that waste of coal that was sitting on that tip, because of the rain and the heavy rain over several days, started to liquefy, become a thick, slurry slum. And it started to move down the mountain. Nobody was prepared. It happened quickly. And, this, and, that, and that pile and piles of waste, that piles of thick, slurry uh, slum ran fast down the mountain and destroyed the schoolhouse in the village.
full of children. When parents realized what happened, they ran down to the school. Parents could hear their children crying and screaming for help. 116 children died. They were calling it the village who lost its children. An entire village lost almost all of its school-age children in 20 minutes. The Albertville disaster could have been and should have been prevented. The disaster was a matter not of wickedness, but of ignorance, ineptitude, failure of communication, failure to heed clear warnings, and a, ta- a total lack of direction from above. They were distracted. They were distracted by their work. They are distracted by extracting more coal. They continued to put waste on top of this tip that was sitting on sandstone and under and above a natural spring. Concerns were raised years ahead of this, but people ignored the concerns. Fear of loss of employment, fear of the closure of a coal mine, and nothing was done. And 116 children were killed. Distraction is a very dangerous thing. Being distracted. And really distraction is a major theme of this passage in Luke 12, 35-48. Leading up to this passage in Luke, starting in 12, chapter 12, verse 1. We see that Jesus is having this continual conversation with a crowd. A large crowd, crowd of people has surrounded him. He, he, he warns his disciples, which were more than the twelve. He says, beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he talks about their concern for comfort, their concern for honor, their concern for their respect and titles and their wealth. And they didn't acknowledge Christ before men. And how God will judge them for that. And how the Holy Spirit will not forgive them for their rejection of Christ. And then he warns the disciples of greed. And warns them that building up your barns and your, and your storehouse. Collecting profits for your own good and for your own benefit. Is wicked and sinful. And he says beware of greed. Beware of the concern for money. That leads to anxiousness when you lack something. He tells them to be comforted. Don't be anxious. God will provide. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek Christ's kingdom. It is God's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Do not be anxious. He will provide for you. And by not being anxious and trusting in God, you can then actually give freely and not be greedy with your money. The next phase of Christ's teaching to the disciples Surrounded by this crowd is another warning is given. More of a culmination of what was spoken before. Don't be distracted. So the major point. Be ready at all times and all seasons for the unexpected return of the Son of Man. Be ready at all times and all seasons for the unexpected return of the Son of Man. So the first kind of sub point is stay dressed and alert the master's unknown return. Stay dressed and alert for the master's unknown return. I'm going to read 35 35 through 36. 
Say dress for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants who the master finds awake when he comes. So Jesus is giving, a, giving his disciples the command, be ready at all times. Be ready. Stay dressed. Be alert. Dress fittingly to honor the arrival of the master. Uh, Exodus 12, 11 kind of talks about what maybe Jesus is referring to here. In Exodus 12, 11, Moses is, is telling the people of Israel that uh, they need to be ready when, when they leave Egypt uh, and be ready during the Passover. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, eating the Passover meal, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Basically, the Lord is going to save them immediately. So be prepared to leave. Be, be, be dressed to leave. Be dressed for action is what he's telling Israel to do during the time of the Exodus, during the time of their uh, being freed and redeemed from their slavery from Egypt. So the, the dressing alertly, being prepared. I thought of that movie Trolls where it's like hair up, hair up, women, uh, ponytails up, you're ready to go. You are not relaxed. You are not um, leisuring and, and lounging. You are dressed for action. What men would do men during this time, uh, Middle Eastern men would wear long robes. And so when they're doing work, they would tie a rope, a belt around their waist, and they would tuck their robe in their belt. That's why another reading of this is, let your loins be girded. Let your loins be girded. Have a belt around your waist. Be prepared. Be alert. Be ready for action. He even says next, keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps going. Keep them active. Keep oil uh, continually in your lamps and be prepared for the arrival of the master. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Be prepared. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples is be prepared for the arrival of the master. Be dressed and prepared. Have your lamps burning at all times. Are you ready? Are you prepared? What is the state of your preparedness for the arrival of the master? The arrival of the son of man? What prevents you from being alert? What prevents you from being prepared? He then gives a parable here, starting in verse 39, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. He will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So he gives this parable to kind of explain more on what he's talking about, why they should be prepared, why they should keep their lamps burning for the arrival of the master. Be like the man who is waiting for the master, who, is, who has gone off, to a wedding celebration, a marriage party. Weddings in that time could last up to seven days long. They would last as long as, as many people who were there and food lasted. We even know from Matthew 22, from another parable, that people were summoned 
for a, for a wedding. They were invited and summoned for a wedding. So the day of his return was unknown. It could be two, three days, four days, up to seven days. So the servants had to be prepared at every hour for the return of the master, to be constantly vigilant for the return of the master. And think about uh, my own children. You know, I, I'll say that, hey, I'm going off to work. When will you be home? I'll be home around 2 o'clock. Now, I may come earlier than 2 o'clock. I may come later than 2 o'clock, right? A lot of times uh, I come home later than 2 o'clock. So my children are wondering and waiting for my return. Constantly vigilant to when they, they don't miss me coming. And so what we see here is that the servants have to be constantly vigilant for the return of the master from the wedding party. So they can immediately open the door for him when he comes and knocks. So he's not waiting, by even waiting minutes for his servants to serve him. There is no delay. The servants have been prepared and alert and ready for action at any moment. He even says that they were, uh, in 38, if he comes in the second watch or the third watch. The third watch would have been from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. Prepared in times of darkness when it's difficult to be faithful. He says, be vigilant, be prepared, be alert, be ready for action at any moment. It even says, not just simply be prepared, be eager for the return of the master. Joyous for his return. Going back to the, the story of my children. They are excited and they're eager for my return. Recently we were uh, prepared. We were actually leaving to go out of town for a few days. And they were so excited about going out of town. That they were wondering when I was going to come home. So as I was driving home. They had a chair outside of our house. Like in our yard. Sitting there waiting for me to come by so they would know that was a symbol or a signal that we're going to be leaving soon to go out of town. They were joyous. They were eager for my return. Their, their alertness, their preparedness for my arrival was not just simply that they were ready to serve, but they were eager. They were joyous for my return home. Think about children. A lot of times when they know that someone's coming to the house and they're looking forward to it, they're always watching from the window. Waiting, eager. And they're eager and they're joyous because we learn later that the master is kind and gentle. This is not a tyrant. This is not a dictator. This is a master who is kind and gentle. And they're joyous and eager for his return home. To serve him, to care for him, to do their duty. And it's so interesting, this is the second point here. The master will bless those who are ready. The master will bless those who are ready. It's so interesting what happens next in the story. That it's such a, an amazing and something unexpected. So yeah, Jesus says that, that we should be like servants who are ready for their master return, ready at every hour. Then it says in 38, if he comes... I'm sorry, at the end of 37. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve them. You catch that? He blesses them. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. He blesses them by reversing roles with them. The master serves the servants. 
the master will show love and kindness to those who are ready and prepared for his return. He will show and demonstrate his pleasure with them by reversing roles with them. The master will now gird himself for service. He will tuck his robe in his belt and serve them. He allows and permits them to recline at his table. We don't have a master who simply is served. We have a serving master and Lord. We think of John 3, 1 through 13, 1 through 5, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, serves his disciples by washing their feet, by taking on the, the, the role and the job of a slave. Luke 22 through 27. For who is greater, one who reclines at a table or one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? The one ones who God allows to recline at his table. Christ will invite those who are eager for his return to recline at his table in his kingdom. And he's talking to crowds of people who includes the Pharisees, includes those who are greedy and wealthy, who are allowed to recline at the table in God's kingdom. It's not the wealthy. It's not the religious elite. It's not the Pharisees. It's those who are eager and ready for his return. Christ will invite those who are eager for his return. Even the thief on the cross, blind Bartimaeus, the woman at the well. These are the folks that Christ invites to recline at his table. These are the folks who were eager and joyous when Christ interacted with them. He invites them as his companions. John 15, 13 through 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I called you friends. For all that I have is heard from my father, I have made known to you. Christ calls us friends. He calls us his companions. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour. You do not expect, he says here in verse 40. So be ready for the return of the Son of Man, the coming of Christ. Be ready, for you do not know when he's coming. He's talking about his second coming. He's saying, be prepared, be alert, be active. Such a powerful illustration. There's no obligation, no law, no entitlement to man from the master. That to be blessed by the master, to be blessed by Christ, to be blessed by God. He's to be eager and ready for his return. And he blesses you. And he allows you to recline at his table. He treats you as a friend. He treats you like a companion. The, Pharisee, the Pharisees, the wealthy, the, those with honor, titles, and wealth are meaningless to be blessed by Christ. Salvation here is such an important point of what Jesus is saying. You have to be one who is saved, who is redeemed by Christ, who has been 
uh, adopted into his kingdom. But also sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is how you know if you're being faithful to Christ. If you're ready for Christ's return. That you're not relying on titles. You're not relying on wealth. That you're relying on God and his work in you. That if you're growing in his word. That you're loving others and you're caring for his children. You're caring for those in his church. You are one who is ready and prepared for Christ's return. You are being faithful to Christ. You're walking in Christ. This is such an important concept for us to remember. And not rely or trust in the family that we're born into that we went through confirmation or that we went through first communion, that we went to a VBS and we marked on a card that we wanted to accept Christ, that we said a prayer and walked an aisle, that we were baptized by our youth pastor. This does not define one who is faithful, who is alert, who's ready for the return of the master, who's ready for the unexpected return of the Son of Man, but one who is walking constantly in Christ, who has put their trust in Christ, who has put their faith in Christ, who has trusted in Christ, but who is actively growing through, uh, uh, through his word, actively loving others and loving other believers and loving others in the church, constantly growing, constantly working, constantly walking in Christ. This is how you assure yourself that you are faithful to Christ. That you're faithful now and you're faithful into the future. So Peter in verse 41, this is the third subpoint. Peter asks this question to Jesus. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? He says this in 41. So Peter is wondering, who are you telling this to? Are you telling this just to us, your disciples? Are you referring to everyone, to all people? And he kind of gives another parable. And he talks about four different managers or stewards. And at first, he talks about the faithful steward in 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and the wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant from whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So he talks about this first manager. And what he's really, uh, he's answering Peter's question by saying that he's referring or speaking to all people. And he's giving four different categories. The first category is the manager, the faithful manager. That servant, that steward who's faithful and wise. This is one who's a genuine believer. And this steward and this manager has been given the, the task or the role, the responsibility to manage the, the master's estate. To make sure the master's estate was run properly while he's away. And he's a wise and faithful steward. This is a result of his salvation. This is a result of someone who has put their faith in Christ who has been redeemed by Christ, who has been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, who has been transformed by Jesus Christ. And he cared for the master's estate with love 
for his master. And the master blesses him for his faithfulness. He is promoted, right? He then says there that he's blessed. In 43, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In 44, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He promotes him. And anytime we think of, of God's blessing on us, when he promotes us in his kingdom, we use that promotion not to serve ourselves and to glorify ourselves, but to serve others. Anytime you are given more responsibility in the church, or you're given a teaching role, or a ministry role, or a volunteer role, where you get to serve in a certain way, this promotion, this opportunity, this office, is to serve others. And so God, in this, in this parable, this master, has promoted this faithful steward, who's wise, He's giving him a promotion, and he is now promoted to, master, to a steward over all the possessions, all the estate of the manager, of the master. So that's the first steward. He is blessed. The second steward, the second manager, in 45, is the defiant steward, the defiant, defiant steward. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And another way that this is kind of uh, read, is another way you can read this here, is that the servant kind of, that doesn't say to himself, but he speaks to his heart. He says to his heart, my master is delayed in coming. Basically, this steward, this manager, lived under an illusion that he can enjoy himself in his sin without care. That his, ser his master isn't going to come. He's delayed in his coming. He doesn't know when he's going to return. It'll be a long time. And so he'll take his freedom. He'll take his liberation to do whatever he wants. His pleasure is more important than God's will. He only cares for himself. He only cares for his needs. And so he even beats the other servants. He takes his responsibility and his authority to rule and to, to, to dictate and to harm the other servants. And this is basically the definition of sin of your youth, right? You're living in a sense of carelessness. And so interesting here is that this steward, this manager, knows what the will of the master is, but is defiant towards the master. I wanted to, to talk about Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais is the British comedian who has famously uh, done the Golden Globe Awards. Uh, he is the uh, uh, kind of the creator of The Office, uh, the British version, and then he became the executive producer of the American version. He wrote an article several years ago uh, called An Atheist Easter Message from Ricky Gervais. And this ended up getting picked up by the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal. Why I'm a Good Christian. Remember, he's an atheist. But yet he titles this, Why I'm a Good Christian. What's so interesting in his discussion is he knows what a Christian is. He knows what a Christian believes. He says, of course not a good Christian in the sense that I believe that Jesus was half a man and half God. So he understands somewhat who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus was fully man and fully God. But he understands that God, Jesus was man and God. 
He even says later that Jesus, uh, talking about who, a, even actual passages from Scripture, he mentions that let him who is without sin cast the first stone. He believes in that, that verse. He even quotes this verse in his article. He even quotes all the Ten Commandments, and he, 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 he um, uh, quotes the Bible. He knows the Bible. He knows what a Christian is. He is someone who is defiant. He's refusing to trust in Christ. He's refusing to believe in God. And he's defiant. And the consequence of the defiant steward is a very severe punishment. He's cut in half by the master and he's thrown in with the unfaithful. The third manager or the third steward that is mentioned here by Jesus is the distracted steward. He's distracted. He says here in 47, and that servant who knows his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. So this steward, he knows the, the will of the master but is distracted. He's, he's not living in, in a sense of defiance. He's not using the master's possessions to get drunk, to beat the, the, the other servants. But he's still unfaithful. He's distracted by other things. His care for other things has distracted his attention and he's not ready or prepared for the return of the master. And he receives a severe judgment, not as much as the defiant steward, but he still receives a severe judgment. And the last steward here is the ignorant steward. Verse 48, but the one who did not know and did not did what deserved a, deserved a beating will receive a light beating. He's ignorant of the will of the master. He doesn't know what, the, the, what he should and what he's supposed to do, what he ought to do. He's ignorant. And so he's, the master returns and he finds the ignorant steward doing horrible things, very similar to the defiant steward. But his punishment is lighter because he didn't know the will of the master. There is no excuse for being ignorant. Paul, Paul even says in Romans 1, 19 through 20, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The existence of God, the presence of God in the world through his creation is plain to be seen. So the world has no excuse. The ignorant who have never heard the gospel, who have never heard the will of God, are not excused from God's judgment. But they receive a lighter punishment. And I want to end, because I think, I, I want to I define what this ignorant steward is. Someone who is unreached. Someone who is unreached is someone who has no knowledge of Christ. No church presence around them. Uh, David Platt quotes, uh, says, unreached peoples and placers are those whom Christ is largely unknown and the church is relatively insufficient to make Christ known in its broader population without outside help. An example of an unreached place is Nepal. There's very few Christians there. There's very few churches. The church is insufficient uh, to, to make Christ known to the broader 
nation. They are, they are um, preaching the gospel. They are planting churches. You can have access to a Bible, but it's difficult. And so we would say that Nepal is unreached. They are an unreached people. However, most Americans, most in our community here in, in Evansville, are reached. There are very few, if any, unreached people in Evansville or in America. There are some, but very few. They have some knowledge of Christ. They have Bibles that they can purchase right now. You can get a phone. You can download the ESV or the Bible app for free. There are many churches in neighborhoods that preach the gospel faithfully. There's several in Evansville. There's several in a lot of communities that you can go to and hear the gospel preached. So I don't think the, the definition of the ignorant steward, of the ignorant uh, manager works for us. But I think the two that really hit home are the defiant or the distracted. Some who make up the young adult category are defiant. And other groups, other uh, age groups, would make up the category of defiant. They want to live life their way while they're young, enjoying the freedoms of their independence, overthrowing this idea of God. They know who God is. They know what the gospel is, but they're defiant to believe it. They reject it at hand. Many of the people that you hear the gospel with, maybe even a lot of friends and family members who reject the gospel, they are defiant. They have no desire to believe it, even though they've heard it and can go and listen to it at a church or read it or listen to it online. Yet I think many in America, in America more Americans, and, and also in our community here in Evansville, are not defiant, they're distracted. Distracted by more experiences to have, just distracted by the pleasures of the world, wealth, entertainment. David Foster Wallace describes this as infinite jest. Since life is about the pursuit of experiences, actual commitments are abandoned or refused. David Brooks says, you know that some, at some point you should sit down and find some overall direction for your life, but the mind wants to wander from the meaty big questions, which are completely daunting and unanswerable, to the virgin candy right on your phone, the dining dopamine lift. Many are just distracted by their phones. They're distracted by YouTube. They're distracted by Facebook. They're distracted by experiences in the world. You know the questions. You know the, the, the important questions you should ask yourself and answer and let direct your life. You know the will of God. You hear it when you attend a worship service, when you read a few verses of the Bible once in a while, when you hear that song you like from that Christian artists or band, from that devotion book you read from time to time. You, you know what the will of God is. You know how you should live your life. Yet you're distracted from doing the will of God. You're distracted with experiences, concerts, sports, movies, televisions. Instead of God and his word being the means of defining your direction in your life, you go from day to day week to week, month to month, year to year, trying to be fulfilled by funny videos, fun experiences, and it's all 
a distraction. It prevents you from being prepared. It prevents you from walking in Christ. It prevents you from having your lamps burning, from being faithful and wise. Eager and joyous for when Christ does return, being ready and prepared. Many of you are distracted, constantly focused on other things. Others are, just, are not distracted by experiences, they're distracted by work. Distracted by the constant question, how do I succeed in life, in school, at work? Your life is fulfilled with busy projects, busy assignments, busy children. You begin to view yourself not as a soul to be lifted, but as a set of skills to be maximized. Workaholism is a surprisingly affected distraction from the real questions of life. Your life is described by how much grit and productivity and self-discipline you have. A word that is a word that this sermon is titled is Acadia. Acadia is a word that means lack of care. Distracted by lack of care. You're just not caring for the things that are important. Your care is misplaced. You, are, you believe and you've fallen into the system of mediocrity, of merit, mediocrity, of individuals competing with one another. That you're so constantly trying to compete with others, either being the best mom or the best father, the best worker, the best student. Acadia is the quieting of passion, is the lack of care, is living a life that doesn't arouse your strong passions, therefore instills a sluggishness of the soul, like an oven set on warm. The person living in Acadia will, may have a job and a family, but he's not entirely grabbed by his own life. His heart is over there, but his life is over here. Distracted, unprepared, not alert. Believing that they're okay, believing that they're right with God, but distracted. Many of you know the truth, you know the gospel, but you're sluggish. Your life is not grabbed by the gospel. You are distracted by other things that grab your heart. Romance, love, money, family, experiences. You're not eager for the things of Christ. You're not ready for Christ's return. He would come back and find you distracted. Yet you know the truth, but you were distracted. He will judge you severely. Many of you listening to this are distracted. You're fallen into the ditch of easy believism. A distracted steward is one who passively follows Christ's word who passively involves himself or herself in the life of the church, in the life of other believers, who passively walks in Christ, who yet his entire focus or her entire focus and her entire desires and her entire heart is focused on something else. The passions of the world, the desires of the world. You're not defiantly running away from God. You're not living life to it, to, to just living in sin. Most of you live a good moral life. Too many, though, are distracted from following Christ. 
a Christian, a follower of Christ, would hear this message, reflect, recognize where they're distracted from living out the gospel of Christ in their life, repent, ask God to focus their heart on him. That's what a Christian will do in response to this message. An unbeliever, a distracted, an unfaithful person will hear this message, ignore it, be indifferent to its warning, and not change at all. What did Jesus say in Luke 9, 57 through 62? You had three people who wanted to follow Christ, but they said, hey, let me first be, let me first prepare myself to follow. Let me first bury my father. Let me say bye to my family. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. Prioritize me above your family. This person, these people, in that story, in that passage, were distracted by other things. And they were told they couldn't follow Christ. Jesus presents these two extremes. Either you're the defiant one or you're an ignorant one. But many of you fall in the middle. You're distracted. Heed the warning here. Be ready. Don't be distracted. This is, this is the time of spring cleaning, right? This is the time of yard work, pulling weeds. You should hear this message if you are a Christian, if you are a faithful steward, if you are a wise steward, you would hear this message, recognize the weeds you have to pull out of your life, that you have to pray to God and say, Lord, reveal these distractions in my life and clean them from my heart. Pull them from my heart. That I am ready for the return of Christ. Eagerly prepare for the Master's return by being devoted to his word, scripture reading, preaching, Bible studies, discipleship opportunities. Eager, eagerly prepare for the master's return by being devoted to his church, by attending, by serving, by giving, by caring for others. This is how you assure yourself that you are a faithful steward, that you are ready for the return of Christ. Do not be distracted. Repent of the areas that you're distracted. Too often in my life, I have been distracted by success. Wanting to succeed in my work. In being a good husband and a good father. Being too distracted by entertainment. Spending too much money and too much time on entertainment. In different seasons of my life, in different seasons and circumstances of your own life, you will have different distractions that will elude you, that will move you away from Christ. As a faithful steward, as a follower of Christ, one who is maturing in the faith, is one who recognizes these distractions and puts to death these distractions. You don't, you're not indifferent to them. You're not ignoring it. You recognize there are distractions in your life. And especially during this time, during this pandemic, you are distracted by the focusing your mind and heart on being, having things and having your future secure. Either be job related, school related. And you're distracted away from focusing your mind and heart on Christ. Being alert, being prepared. 
Use this message, use this passage to pray to God, Lord, reveal through your spirit the, the distractions in my heart. The things that take my focus away from Christ, from being committed to his word and committed to his church. Reveal those things in my heart and pull those things from me that I will no longer be distracted in those areas. And that my focus and I would be alert and prepared for the return of Christ. That's my application and my teaching to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I praise you for your word. Lord, I pray this, that people listening to this right now would recognize, Lord, where they're distracted, what pulls them away from being alert and prepared for the return of Christ, and that you would purge those things, that you would pull those things from their heart. And Lord, for those who are living defiant lives, who are defiant, they know your will, they have heard the gospel, they've heard it many times, they're maybe listening to it right now, and they continue to reject it. Lord, may they heed the warning presented here. May they heed the judgment that is presented here. And that they would repent. They would turn to Christ. Your blessing that you talk about here, that if you're in Christ, if you've been saved by him, that you're being sanctified by him, that you're walking in Christ. The blessing is, Lord, that you invite them to be companions in your kingdom, giving them the, the access, Lord, to recline at your table, to be companions of you, to be friends of you. Lord, if, if, if those who are defiant, who, who are distracted, who are, who are indifferent to distractions in their heart, Lord, your judgment is pronounced. Lord, it is spoken here. Lord, may you turn their hearts away from their pleasures of the world, from their own desires, and may you pull them closer to yourself. And may their focus be on Christ. And for those who are ignorant of your will or who have never heard the gospel, Lord, may you send us to proclaim it to those who have never heard it. May you use money, may you use people, Lord, to proclaim that gospel, to your gospel, to those who have never heard it, Lord. And may you turn their hearts in faith to believe it, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, this concludes our service. I'm going to offer to you uh, a word of encouragement, a parting word for the road as you go about your day. This is our benediction as we conclude. Tender and compassionate God, you long to gather us in your arms as a hen gathers her chicks. Draw us to yourself in love. Surround us with your grace and keep us in the shelter of your wings so that in our time of testing, we may not fall away. Amen. Go now, church, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you.